Who's ready for spring? All right. Yes, I am ready for spring. Hey, so if you don't know already, we have a special Bible study that goes on on Wednesday nights. It's at 630. It's called Not a Fan. My wife and I are facilitating that. We would love for you to come. If you've not come out, we'd love for you to be there. Uh, this is going to be week three this week. And it doesn't matter. Don't worry about where, where we are or whether you, how you can get caught up. We'd love for you to just be there. It's an opportunity for us to grow together in the Lord. And the whole study is about becoming a follower of Jesus. Okay, there's plenty of fans out there. Fans are folks that sit on the sidelines. They don't really get involved. They're more enthusiastic admirers is what Pastor Kyle would call them. But you come and you'll learn about what it means to truly follow Jesus. So 6.30 Wednesday nights, would love to have you for that. So my wife is like my biggest cheerleader. And she told me before this second message, she says, Ian, you need to slow down. So if I start going too fast, somebody just say, give me the sign, tell me to slow down, okay? Because I'm going to get really excited because there is some power in today's message, okay? And it will set you free. So we're going to start uh, in Acts chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 13. And uh, we're continuing our message series entitled The Church I want to attend. And in this chapter, this is all about Paul's first missionary journey. You may remember that Paul and Barnabas are commissioned by the Holy Spirit to go out and preach the gospel. And so they travel the entire island of Cyprus. And they go from town to town preaching the word of God. And then they arrive at Antioch of Pisidia and they go to the local synagogue. And in those days, it was customary... I can feel myself getting fast. In those days, what they would do at the local synagogue is they would read from the Old Testament. That was what would happen. They'd come in, read from the Old Testament, probably have some ritual things, and then they'd they'd go about their day. On this particular day, the folks that were in charge of the service, after the Old Testament was read, they came to Paul and Barnabas, and you see this in verse 15, and they say this, if you have any word of encouragement, For the people, come and give it. So Paul, he takes this opportunity to stand up and share. And he starts out by by giving this um, kind of this overview of history of the Israelite nation. He talks about how the Israelites were God's beloved people and how God had taken them out of slavery. And then how God had given them the land of Canaan, the land that he had promised. He gave them that. He gave them that as their, as their inheritance. And then what you see is that took 450 years. So Paul's summing all this up really quick. He's covering 450 years of ground. And then what happens is, is uh, he talks about how God gives them judges to rule over them. And just like the people did in the Old Testament, you would read this, they can constantly are complaining, right? You can remember that they were hungry and they wanted food, so they complained. What does God do? He sends manna and it just rains down from the sky. How would you like that? Not have to cook anything? Just have your food fall down from the sky? That'd be cool. Then they complain because they don't have water. Moses strikes the rock and then there's water, okay? And they complain about uh, all kinds of stuff. And so here they are complaining again and they want a king. So God gives them a king. He gives them King Saul. And Saul reigned for 40 years. And then God replaced Saul with King David. And God referred to David as a man after God's own heart. How many of you want to be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart, right? Man, I'd love to have that after my name. 
And it was David, this is where Jesus came from, it was his lineage and his line that led to Jesus, the Savior of the world. And that brings us to our text for today. It's in verse 26 of Acts chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there, beginning in verse 26. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we're here to bring you this good news. This, This promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. This is an incredible text because... You see these two words, but God, right there in the heart of the gospel, right? And, uh, but God. Now, I'm going to come back to these two words, but who remembers what the gospel is? Who remembers? Woo, perfect. Pastor Bruce covered this a few weeks ago. He said, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you can see this in our text. You go back to verse 29. It says, when they had done all that the prophecies had said about him. This is talking about Jesus' death. Now, I can't possibly cover all the prophecies that are out there. There's over 300 prophecies that point towards the coming Messiah, talking about Jesus. But I am going to cover just a few of them today, okay? Isaiah 53. It was written 700 years before Jesus. And in it, it says this that he would be pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He would be beaten and whipped. He would be oppressed and treated harshly. And he would be unjustly condemned. That's Isaiah 53. Then in Psalm 22, which was written a thousand years before Jesus, it mentions that his hands and his feet will be pierced. And then in Psalm 34, 20, It says that his bones will not be broken. Now, this is interesting because when you were crucified, this is one thing they would do is they'd come and break your legs. And they would do that so that it would hasten your death because when you're hanging on the cross, it's your feet that give you the strength to hold yourself up so that you can breathe. And when they break your legs, you can't hold yourself up anymore, so you suffocate and die. Pretty brutal. And on either side of Jesus, you had criminals that were crucified with him. They both had their legs broken. And if you remember the story, when the soldiers came to Jesus, he was already dead, so they didn't break his bones. His bones were not broken. And in, uh, in, in John 19, verse 36, it says, these things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. All those things that we reread about just a minute ago that I was sharing with you, those three prophecies, those all happened to Jesus so that they would be fulfilled. And then we look back at verse 30. It says he was placed in a tomb. So we've talked about his death, 
There's his burial. And then in verse 30 again, it says, But God raised him from the dead. Now you have the resurrection. There's the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. So back to those two words. But God. When we understand these words, it changes everything. And we can never be the same. So if you've got your hand out with you, first two blanks in there, but God. But God. These two words, when you read the Bible, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you're going to see these over and over again. I read this book. It's called But God, the two words at the heart of the gospel. And the author, his name is Casey Lute, and he says this in his book. This is one quote that he had. It says, To the left of But God in Scripture appear some of the worst human atrocities characterized by disobedience and rebellion. To the left of but God is hopelessness, darkness, and death. But to its right, following but God, readers of Scripture will find hope, they'll find light, and they'll find life. We just saw this in our text today. To the left of but God, Jesus, the Savior of the world, was brutally murdered. He was killed. He took on the punishment that you and I deserve, death. And he didn't just die for us, he died instead of us. Then to the right of but God, God raises him from the dead, fulfilling his great plan of salvation for all those who would believe in him. You know, when I was studying for this message, the words but God jumped right off the pages at me. Sometimes when I sit down, I'm wondering, what what, what am I going to preach about? What, what, should the, what should the message be about? This was one of those times where these two words just went, ding, 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 ding. Here it is. It's right here. But God. But God. Now, if, if you've ever had to give a message before, you would really appreciate what kind of effort goes into putting these things together. So when that happened, when that light bulb went off, I was like dancing in the office, man. I was turning around. It was crazy. Because there is incredible hope in those two words. But God. You know, Jen Oshman, she was a missionary for 17 years on three different continents. And in her article, But God, the Bible's Best Word, she says this. The word but in Scripture often introduces the message of the gracious and compassionate intervention of God. This simple term captures the nature of our God. He redeems, he resurrects, and he makes all things new. All seems lost. And then we hear, but God, he intervenes, he saves. When all seems lost, he intervenes. Put that in your blank. He intervenes. You ever felt that? You ever felt God intervene in your life? I mean, sometimes it's really subtle. You don't really notice it unless you're paying attention. Other times it can be incredibly obvious when he intervenes. But God does intervene. He's not some faraway God that doesn't care. He does intervene. I'm going to share a few of the many but God statements in the Bible to help illustrate the very nature of God and how he loves you and he loves me. So let's turn to Ephesians. We're going to go to the right. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work 
in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Let that sink in for a minute. We were dead. There was no hope. But God. Right? We were dead. There was no hope. But God. So you see, to the left of but God is death. It's sin, self, and Satan. You see it in the text. Once we were dead, we obeyed the devil, and we were subject to God's anger. That's all to the left. And then to the right of but God, look at there. It says life. Do you see the contrast between death and life with but God right in the middle of all that? Isn't that awesome? Somebody going to get excited? Not to come down and jump down off the stage at you? I mean, that's some hope right there, right? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And I love the other side of this verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's some amazing hope there. How's that for intervening? Right there. All is lost, and then he intervenes. Why? Why does he intervene? I think Romans 5 sums it up for us. It says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would be not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God shows his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were yet sinners, Scripture says. There's the answer. It's because of his great love. He intervenes because he loves. We were utterly helpless. In other words, there was nothing that you or I could do to be saved. It's only by what he did. He intervened. We were headed for death, but because, there, because that's where sin leads. Sin leads to death. And then he intervened. But God. Who does God love anyway? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, right? He loves everyone. That means you. That means me. He loves everyone. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've never given your life to him. You've never made him Lord of your life. Okay, we learned last week, and not a fan, that the word Lord, and I I don't remember how to pronounce it uh, in the Greek or what have you, but I'll tell you this, the word Lord means master. We learned that last week. Imagine that picture in your mind, master, slave. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus expects out of us, right? He wants you to make him Lord. So if you've never given your life to him, maybe today's the day. Maybe you know all about him, but you don't know him personally. Or maybe you're just so beat up for all that's going on in your life that you're just not feeling the love from him right now. Maybe that's you. Let today be the day that all that changes. 
May the words, but God, give you hope. Give you assurance that he loves you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, but God. I know it's hard. Many of, many of us have been through some really messed up circumstances. Let's be honest. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a job. Perhaps you've battled a major health issue in your life. Or you've been through a divorce. Or maybe you've just made some poor choices and you're dealing with the consequences of those choices. Perhaps you've seen someone close to you experience some ridiculous pain and you're watching that happen and unfold. Or perhaps you're here today and you're right in the middle of it right now. Perhaps you're going through some really tough times right now, this very moment. Or you've been praying for something to happen and you're still waiting. You're still waiting. You've been praying and there's no answer. You know, when we're in the middle of a storm, when we're battling it out in life, it is so hard to find hope. It really is. It's so hard to understand why. We often ask, where is God? Why isn't He intervening right now? We might be saying. Why am I having to go through this? This isn't fair. And on and on and on it goes. We throw up all these things. How many of you know the story of Joseph in the Bible? Okay, good. A few of you. Talk about adversity. He went through some extremely tough times. At age 17, his brothers wanted to kill him. So they threw him in the bottom of a cistern. And a cistern in those days was about 15 to 20 feet deep. And if you got thrown into the bottom of one of those, you're not getting out. So that's what they did. They threw him in there. They wanted him to just die. They changed their mind, though, because they figured, you know what, I can make some money. So his brothers went ahead and sold him into slavery. And then he was sold again to Potiphar who was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt at the time. So now he's uh, working for Potiphar. He'd been a slave. And uh, Potiphar's wife kept coming on to him. She really liked him, thought he was handsome and all this. She kept coming on to him. And guess what happens? She accuses him of rape. Then he gets thrown into prison. So Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. And then he's thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit. All of this happened over the course of 13 years. I get thinking sometimes about what I go through in my life and how hard it is. This makes me feel about that big when I read about Joseph, right? 13 years he'd had to endure this. That's a long time. But you know, Joseph remained faithful. He worked so hard that eventually he earned the favor of Pharaoh. At age 30, Pharaoh made him the highest-ranking official in all of Egypt next to him. And after 20 years, 20-plus years, I think it was 22 total uh, that it had been, he was reunited with his brothers. Remember his brothers wanted to kill him? 22 years later. And this was when his brothers were coming to Egypt. There was a seven-year famine And his brothers were coming to Egypt because they needed food. They came to buy grain. And Joseph was in charge of all of that. And so they're begging 
him begging Joseph for forgiveness. That's what his brothers are doing. And I want you to listen to how Joseph responds. Imagine all that you'd been through, right? 13 years of, of crazy hardship. It'd been 22 plus years now. Now you're facing your brothers who made all this happen. I want you to see how he responds. This is what Joseph says. It's in Genesis chapter 50. If you got your Bibles, we go back to the left. We're in the Old Testament. Very first book of the Bible. But Joseph replied, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. But God. To the left, evil, harm, death, slavery, prison, hopelessness. Then to the right of but God, good, perseverance, provision, blessing, hope. Joseph endured a lot. But God was always with him. Not only did God protect him, he also promoted him. We can't possibly understand fully sometimes why we go through such turmoil in our lives. I'm going to give you just a couple of reasons. These are not exhaustive, not all inclusive, but let me give you two if you've got your hand out there. The first one, trials develop our character. That's the first one. That's in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. I won't put it up on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So the first one, trials develop our character. That's hard. It's hard, but it's the truth. The second one, trials also allow us to help others. They allow us to help others. This is in 2 Corinthians 1.4. It says he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. So there's two reasons why sometimes we go through trials. Develop character and to help others. I love how Joseph responds after all that he had been through. After all the trials that he endured, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Isn't that an amazing perspective? I think it is. I think that's crazy. How can you have that kind of perspective when you go through such junk sometimes? But that's the kind of perspective God expects for, from us. And you know, sometimes... We go through trials that just aren't our fault. Let's face it. Things happen to us, and it wasn't our fault. That's what happened with Joseph. Other times, we go through things because it is our fault. We've made a poor choice, or we've made poor choices. And now we're just dealing with the consequences from those choices. That is another reason sometimes why we go through hard times. But let me tell you, sin is always preceded by temptation. And we always have a choice. Put that in your blank, choice. We always have a choice. The problem is, is that we don't always choose wisely. And we have an enemy out there who is the master at making us think it's okay. His mission, steal, kill, destroy, the Bible says. Jesus says he's the father of lies. 
and that there is no truth in him at all. That's the kind of enemy that you and I are dealing with every day. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's a liar. And when you couple him with our own sinful desires, it's a recipe for disaster. None of us are above temptation. I think that's one of, the, uh, one of the lies the enemy throws at us. We have a tendency to look down upon other people and say, you know what, I would never do that. I would never do, insert the blank, whatever it is, I would never do that. As if you're on some high mountain and you'd never fall to that. You know how many stories and articles I have read about people that have either been in the ministry or related to the ministry and they've fallen to sin? It is crazy. And you think, how could that happen to a man of God or a woman of God? How in the world could they have done that? You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 warns us about this. It says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. We're all susceptible to giving in to temptation. And we all have a choice. Those people that have fallen into great sin and had all this stuff happen and it's just devastating and wreaking havoc on their life, you wonder, what would have happened if they'd made a different choice, right? You and I have a choice. I love this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And I love what the New Living Translation says on the bottom of that last part of that verse. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I love that. There is always a choice. God always provides a way out. The problem is, is that we sometimes don't see the way out because we're so consumed with what it is we're tempted with. Or we just simply ignore it altogether because we're just heading out on the way we want to go. But listen, see what it says in the text? But God is faithful. There's two critically important truths out of this text. One is he's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And secondly, he will always provide a way out. Now, I need to pause right here. I'm going to take a time out in the message right here, okay? How many of you ever heard the saying, God will never give you more than you can handle? Everybody heard that? How many have said that? Me? I've said that. Okay. That sounds really fluffy, doesn't it? Makes you feel good. Oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Sounds so good. You know, the, the problem with this statement is that it's not only not true, it's also not in the Bible. It is not in there. You can spend all day looking for it if you want, but it's not in there. The closest thing that you're going to find to it is the scripture I just shared with you, where it talks about temptation. But listen, temptation and tribulation are not the same thing. Temptation is when you're enticed. It's when you're deceived into doing something, right? Tribulation is when you encounter trouble. It's when you go through suffering, okay? Big difference between the two. And as a matter of fact, I believe sometimes that God gives us more than we can handle on purpose, just so that we'll turn to him. Now, I think the Apostle Paul would agree with me on this. Listen to what he says. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God, who raised the dead. Sure sounds like Paul had way more than he can handle, doesn't it? We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. Then Paul explains why. He says in verse 9, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. There it is. This is the reason. So that we would learn to rely on God. That's why Paul had more than he can handle, and that's the key right there. We've got to rely on him, trusting in our strength over over our, or trusting in his strength over ours. And you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real with you right now. I'm overwhelmed. In my own personal life, I'm overwhelmed. I work professionally full-time. I work here at the church as the associate pastor. And those two sometimes conflict because I'm pulled in both directions. On top of that, I'm trying to renovate a house. I paid a contractor 100%. He just left and left me 50% of the work. So now I've got to do all of that on top of everything else. And I've got a son who I love dearly, but is always asking for more of daddy, 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 daddy. So I'm trying to renovate. I'm trying to work full time. I'm trying to do stuff here. I'm not saying all this to whine to you. I'm saying this to you because it is reality and I am overwhelmed. It is more than I can handle. But you know what? The problem is God is trying to teach me, stop putting the Superman cape on and start relying on my strength. That's what he's saying to me. That's what he's teaching me through this, okay? It is way more than I can handle. So I just want to tell you, it's only when we come to the end of ourselves, that's when God truly can work in our lives. That's when we're really ripe, is when we're at the end of ourselves and we're laying ourselves out there, that's when God can do something. So if you've ever heard that phrase or you've used that phrase before, I did not say it to shame you. I did not say it to make you feel bad about God will never give you more than you can handle. I'm arming you now with some information that you've got the Bible that you can take and say, no, that is not what it says. And that's the point. Everything we do and say ought to be measured against this, not what the world says, not some fluffy saying that you can go online and find it on Pinterest and then we can share it on Facebook and we all can feel really happy about it, right? That is not it. This is the truth right here. Amen? All right. Psalm 73. I'm back from my time out. We're coming back. Psalm 73. I'll tie this together. My health, and my, my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. So when you're at the end of yourself, okay, it is His strength, remember? But God. What incredible hope, again, we see in this scripture just from those two words. On the left of but God, you've got weakness, frailty, and failure. And to the right, you've got strength and hope. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, you don't know what I've been through. You don't understand what I'm going through. And you know what? You're right. I don't understand. But God, He does. He understands, he cares, and he loves you, okay? He loves you. You might be thinking, all of this sounds really nice, but I just can't. 
Maybe whatever you're going through right now, you're thinking to yourself, I can't. I can't do this. I'm bad for that. I use it all the time. I can't. Listen, I am here today to tell you that you can. You can. Look at this. Philippians 4. This is Paul again speaking. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with full stomach or with empty, with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. There it is. That's the truth right there. What the enemy is going to tell you is I can't, but you can. Amen? You absolutely can. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our strength. He is our strength. You can through him. So whatever you're going through today, whatever's on your mind and whatever things are going on in your life, I want to tell you today, if you could leave here with with anything besides the two words, but God, let me give you two more words. I can, okay? I can because of him and what he's done for me. So whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, you can. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's only one way. It's through Jesus. Are you following him? Are you following him? You know, one of the lies of the enemy is to tell you that your baggage is too heavy. That what you've done is too bad, too filthy, too whatever. That's the lie from the enemy. So if you're sitting there today thinking, there is no way that God can forgive me for what I have done. Let me tell you, forgiveness is available to you. It's available to you right now, this very moment. If you turn back to Acts chapter 13, toward the very end, verses 38 and 39, this is Paul again. He's speaking. He says, brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Everyone who believes in him. So no matter what you've done, it says everyone right here, right? So forgiveness is available to you. You can get it. All you have to do is ask, okay? 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. That's an amazing truth. If you've not circled that, highlight it, whatever in your Bible, do it. Because that is the truth. The enemy will want to keep you quiet, okay? If you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, no matter what it is. That's the truth. You know, following the law can never make us right with God. It's never about rules. It's always about a relationship. And that relationship is with Jesus. It's only by His grace that we have been saved. It's only by the finished work that Jesus did on the cross that we can have salvation. Forgiveness comes from what Jesus has already done. Okay? The world will tell you do, right? Jesus says done. It's already done. He is faithful. And when we are faithless, even when we're faithless, He is faithful. You know, we were all destined for hell if Jesus didn't intervene. He intervened on our behalf. 
In Matthew 19, Jesus encounters a rich man. You may remember this story. He encounters a rich man. This rich man had everything he could possibly want. And he says to Jesus, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers and says, Obey all the commandments. You know what he says? Which ones? I've obeyed them all. Right? That's what he said. I've obeyed them all. Which ones? Jesus replies, Sell everything you own. Give the money that you get to the poor and follow me. I love how Jesus does this. He always cuts right to the chase. You know, there's no, you know, just kind of stepping around the issue. He steps right into it. Meets him right where he is. Sell everything you own. Give it to the poor and follow me, Jesus says. Now his disciples, they are watching all of this. And they are dumbfounded. Jesus tells him, tells his disciples, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right, than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because that rich man, his stuff had him rather than him having stuff, right? So his disciples, you know what they respond with? He says, well, then who in the world can be saved? That's how his disciples respond to him. I want you to listen to how Jesus responds to that question. Who in the world can be saved? Matthew 19, Jesus looks at them intently and he says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Right? Amen. Yeah. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. And that's what makes the gospel such good news right there, right? Because there is nothing that you and I can do to get to heaven. Nothing. It's only by what Jesus has done. It's only by His grace. Because it's impossible on this side as a human, right? But on the other side of but God, everything is possible. Amen? Yes, it is. So I'm going to end right where I started. In Acts chapter 13, verse 30. It says, Jesus died and was buried. But God raised him from the dead. Those two words, but God, they change everything. Jesus died and he was buried, but God raised him from the dead. I could have stopped right there, ended the message, and went right on home. It would have taken five minutes. You guys would have gotten out now early and been having more time to eat and all that, right? I could have stopped right there. That's how good this news is, that Jesus was raised from the dead. What an amazing truth and incredible hope we have in that. We deserve death, but God, in his rich mercy, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gives us life through Jesus. We were utterly helpless. There was nothing that we could do. But God showed his great love for us that by sending Jesus, right? He showed his great love for us by sending Jesus. And then the world means us harm. But God, what, is, what does it say? But God uses everything for our good, right? doesn't say everything is good. I, mean, I think you all can agree with me there. But he uses it all for good. We may grow weak, 
but God remains our strength, right? Temptation is real, but God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, and he will always provide a way out. We may think it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Okay? No matter what you face, and no matter how many buts you have in your life, think about it. How many times have you used the word but and you're making an excuse? Right? Some of us got some big old butts, don't we? <laughs> Let's be honest. We just come up with all kinds of stuff. Well, I do this, but I do that, but oh, I'd read my Bible, but I'm just tired. You know, whatever the excuse is, we've all got plenty of buts. But there is one that always trumps everything else but God. But God. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the truth of this message. I pray right now, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you or that is questioning whether you love them or not or has all this baggage that they just need to be set free, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day, right now in this service, that that would happen. So if that's you, if that's you and you're struggling and you want to know Jesus and you're tired of going through the motions and you want to know him today, just slip up your hand. There's no one looking around. I'd be happy to pray for you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? So let's pray all this together. Lord, I love you and I give you my life. I believe in you. I believe your son died for me and that he rose on the third day and my sins are forgiven as a result. And so I choose today to make you Lord of my life. I'm tired of going through the motions. I want you. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Now you have mine. Thank you. Anyone here today, maybe you know Jesus. You know him, and you know all about him. But you've been struggling, and you want to recommit your life to him. You want to recommit because you've fallen away. You've gotten distracted with whatever else is going on in your life. Maybe that's you. If that's you, just slip up your hand, and I will pray for you. Anyone have that? that you have gotten away from him, but now you're back, and you are ready to commit. You want to be a full follower of him. Okay, thank you. A couple of you, thank you. Lord, we just pray for those that slipped up their hand. Maybe there's also someone here that's thinking that and they just, they couldn't quite get their hand up and that's okay. Lord, I just pray that you'd stir hearts, that you would reignite that fire within them, that you would fill them with your spirit, Lord, that they would be rekindled, refocused upon you. And so, Lord, I just pray for any barrier or distraction that's trying to pull us away from you. I squelch it in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for who you are. I pray, Lord God, that you'd bless all of us. Help us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, shake a hand, give a hug. You guys have a blessed week.